Our text this morning will be in Genesis chapter 15. I promise I'll meet you there. It may take us a minute to get there, but um, I will meet you there if you start and head out that way. Colby prayed that he, uh, he prayed to God that our worship wouldn't stop um, when the singing stops. And, and my hope, my prayer is that the, there's a few here that are, are ready to worship God um, through his word this morning. Listen, God has not saved us by the promises that we make to him. You're saying this, this ought to bring forth a little bit of like joy, a little bit of, you know, something inside of you. Like we're not saved by the promises that we um, make to God. And praise God, because we would jack that up. At least I know I would, right? So we're not saved by the promises that we make to God, whether we are saved um, by the promises that God makes to us. Right, and how we respond to those, those promises, how we respond to God's promises determines the things that he's gonna do um, in our lives. But sometimes we lose sight of those promises, don't we? Satan would love nothing more than for you to never share the blessings of God with other people. Right, like if you've been saved, that is to say, if you've, you've placed your faith, your trust um, in Jesus Christ, right, you've trusted him with your life and with your eternity, listen, you are blessed. I don't care, it doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter how good looking you are, whether your, your car blew up and threw a rod down through the, the oil pan, listen, you are blessed if you've been saved. Right, Galatians 3, 7 says this, it says, know you therefore um, that they which are of faith, the same are children of Abraham. And he goes on, right? He gives us a little bit more. Down in verse 26, pick up um, with me. It says this. It says, For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Listen, you're rich, right? Maybe you didn't wake up this morning and think it, but you're rich, you've been blessed, right? Listen, it's, it's funny how our minds remember some things that, that we think are like trivial, are meaningless, and then we forget other things that, that maybe seem uh, more important. Like it's really weird the things that um, for some reason like come back to us in our memories. I was very young. Right, like first grade or younger. I know this for a fact, right? I had his little friend, his name was Curtis, and I remember Curtis one day, he was showing me the tile floor that his family had just had installed in their house, right? And, and I can't remember inside of my mind what the tile floor looked like, but it, it must have been great. It must have looked amazing because my response to Curtis was, wow, you guys are rich, Right? And so a little bit later, we're, we're riding in the back of, of Curtis's dad's car, right? And he's, I don't know where he's taking us. He's probably taking me home. And, uh, and Curtis says to his dad, very inquisitively, right? he says, Dad, um, Travis says that we're rich. And I'll, I'll never forget Mr. Romano's response, right? He says with a smile on his face. And this is weird because he was a military man. I don't remember a whole lot of smiling going on with Mr. Romano. He was a serious guy. But he smiles and he says to Curtis without hesitation, he says, Curtis, we are rich in Jesus Christ. An heir, an heiress, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, that's what you are. You're one of the king's kids. And listen, it's not, not like some red-headed stepchild, like he didn't really want you. He just got stuck with you because there's nobody else left. Listen, like he chose you, he picked you. He didn't care how messed up you are. 
He doesn't care how many things you've jacked up. He doesn't care how many people you let down, how much money your family doesn't have. He don't care how big your nose is, how spiritually cross-eyed you are, looking this way, looking that way, every which way but up. Listen, he chose um, you. He picked you. He paid the adoption fee in full, and he has given you son status. You ought to pick your head up. You ought to be able to put your chest out, put your shoulders back, right? Put a smile on your face. You're rich. You're an heir. You are blessed. You are blessed by the king himself. And these blessings, they date all the way back to the book of Genesis. It's called the book of beginnings. You can see a a small, small glimpse in chapter 3, but I'm just going to give you a piece in chapter 12 as we make our way to 15. God says this, it says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto the land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now listen, the the promises that God's made to Abraham here in chapter 12 they're just that. They're promises, right? But, but it's not like, like, listen, God can't lie. So you can take his promises to the bank. The only point I'm trying to get across is this is not the covenant yet. He's not yet cut covenant with Abraham, so to speak. He's not entered into a contract. That's going to come later in chapter 15, if you will. But if you're familiar with the story here in 12, right, you know that, listen, it doesn't take long for Abraham to use to lose sight of God's promises, Right? I mean, when we lose sight of our promises, our faith begins to waver. That's why your attendance at worship is so important. It has nothing, nothing to do with numbers. It has nothing to do with filling this room up. It has everything to do with keeping his promises right in the forefront, keeping our faith strong, bolstering one another unto the faith. Right? Verses 1 to 3, God's promising. Listen, I'm going to do big things through you. I've got big things in store Right? And in verse 7, we, we see all the way by verse 7, he's obeyed. He's journeying through Canaan. God appears to him. He says, listen, I'm going to give this whole land. I'm going to give it to your seed. Right? And Abraham's worshiping. He's building altars, right? Stacking up rocks, right? Worshiping God. This is, this is the place where God showed me, right? And he's worshiping. He's, he's building these landmarks to remember all the amazing things. But by verse 11, him and Sarah are lying to the Egyptians because they're fearing for his life. Right? They're, they're afraid that they're going to kill him and take his wife because the Bible tells us she was fair to look upon. Megan, you are the fairest to look upon. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Uh, <laughs> by verse 11, they're afraid because they're afraid he's going to kill him and take his wife. Now, listen, wait a second, right? I mean, I mean God's just promised him. He's promised him land, seed. He's, he's promised him a blessing, Listen, I know a lot of things can happen sometimes in a very short piece of Scripture, in a verse or two, right? A whole lot of things can happen. But the best of my knowledge, in, in verses 8, 9, or 10, this player hasn't had any kids yet, right? Like, God's not done with you yet, um, Abraham. He should be strolling through Egypt with the hottest wife in town. Remember, chest out, shoulders back, head up, smile on his face, telling people how rich he is, how blessed he is, how awesome the things that God's going to do through him are. He ought to be telling Curtis and his little friend that they are rich through God. And we read in chapter 12 that Abraham, or Pharaoh actually um, takes Sarah to be his wife, but God intervenes and sends great, great plagues on Pharaoh and his house on behalf of Sarah. And Pharaoh gives her back to Abraham and says, mm, something ain't right here, you can keep that. 
Like something, something's wrong, right? Nobody touches her. He orders his men not to touch her. And by chapter 13, we see that God's blessed Abraham so much and he's blessed Lot so much, they're no longer able to stay together, right? So we're told that Lot departs um, and he goes his way towards the plain of Jordan, right? So in the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah and Abram stays in Canaan. And in chapter 14, we see that a war actually breaks out Right, it breaks out between allegiances of kings in the areas that are surrounding Sodom and Gomorrah, and we read that Lot and his entourage are captured, right, because of this war. We read that when Abraham learns about this, when he learns what's happening, he arms 318 of his own men, and he sets out, right, and he sets out to conquer or to take back Lot, his nephew. Right, and, and we read that when they come upon him, right, when, when night falls, we're told that he smote them, freeing Lot and all that was his. So what's, what's just happened? Abram's gone to war, right? And he's gone to war with some kings of the ancient Near East. Listen, if you know anything about the Middle East, you know that Abram's not dealing with some people that simply like just forgive and forget. So when we get to chapter 15, Abraham's afraid, he's doubting, he's fearing whether God's really gonna be able to come through on his end of the promises because he's fearing retaliation for the things that have just happened. And that's where we find him in chapter 15, verse one. It says this, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, uh, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one is born in my house, is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad, and he said, Look, look now towards heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it unto him for righteousness. And he said unto them, I am the Lord that bought thee out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land, to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And just pause with me for a second, because in, in verse 7 there, we, we get this like little glimpse, this little hint of just how great God is, right? And that really sets up my first point for today, and, it, and it's really this. God's plan isn't concerned with your past. Right, I mean, like, like, let me say that again so it can really sink in, like, and just let it sink into your heart. God's plan is not concerned with your past. David said in Psalms 40, he bought me up also out of this horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He hath put a, a new song in my mouth and praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Listen, he doesn't care how dirty you got or how deep in you were. If you let him, he'll place your feet on solid ground. He's going to put a new song into your heart, one that other people are going to hear. It's going to be so amazing. It's going to cause them to, to, to have a respect, a fear, a reverence of God, and they're going to place their trust in him as well. God reminds Abraham, listen, I bought you up out of the Ur of the Chaldees. Right? That's like modern-day Mesopotamia. Right? This is a subtle reminder to Abraham. Listen, you're a Gentile. You are nothing 
In fact, in fact, Joshua reminded Israel in Joshua 24, the end of verse 2, it says this, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in the old time, even Terah and the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Listen, God birthed an entire nation, the nation of Israel, and the entire Jewish faith out of nothing, out of an idol-worshiping idol Gentile. That's a miracle right there. Do you understand? God literally speaks things into life, right? Like if he said it, then you ought to believe it because he has the power to do it, right? God tells him, I'm gonna make um, something out of nothing, but you have to get up and go. You gotta leave your, your land and you gotta leave um, your family. Do you understand? Sometimes God removes us from some people. Sometimes God's got to remove us from some places, or from some circumstances he has to remove from our lives in order that he can bless us. Pick up in verse seven, and he said to them, I am the Lord that bought thee out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said to them, take unto me a heifer three years old and a she-goat three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon and he took unto him these things, and he divided them in the midst, and he laid each piece against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And when the sun was going down, deep sleep fell on Abram. And lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in this land that is not theirs. And he shall serve them, and they shall um, afflict them for 400 years. And also that nation whom they serve will I judge. And afterwards shall thy come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. And thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation... Um, they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. And in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. God has just entered into a contract with Abram, right? The very fact that God even does this, like kind of reveals, sets up my second point. It's the, God's plan is proactive. It is not reactive. You're saying like, like he's determined the end from the beginning. He's not making up the script as he goes, right? He's not just going through the year like, mm, I don't, what do you want to do next year? I'm, I don't, I, five years from now, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I don't really know what's going to happen. Listen, no, God knows what's going to happen 400 years from now. He's already got the plan laid out, and he's sharing some of that plan with Abram, right? Who's doubting, he's doubting, and he needs to be assured that God's word is going to last longer than him. Verse 9, and he said unto him, take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these things and divided them in the midst, and he laid each piece against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. Listen, Abram, up at this point, he's working. 
Right? I mean, he's working hard. He's got to gather these animals. He's had to slay these animals, right? We know he's killed, at this point, at least five different kinds of animals, right? He, he has to saw them in half. I'm not really, I've never saw an animal in half. I just imagine it takes some work, right? He's, he's working through this. He's probably, at this point, he's got blood all over him. He has to divide the carcasses, making an aisle um, between the two. Right? I'm not, not really sure how long this takes. I don't know how long it takes to saw an animal in half, but I imagine it took some time. He's been at it evidently now long enough that vultures are starting to come down um, to the carcasses, right, to feed upon them. And so now not only has he had to do all this work and he's covered in blood, but now he's, he's fighting away the vultures, right? He's doing this work, right, trying to keep his sacrifice from getting taken, trying to, to keep the things that he's done from getting taken. Genesis 12, and when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. Abram was working, but God puts him to sleep. Right, he was a nobody, understand this, from a bunch of idol worshipers. Abraham stepped into the grace of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, do you understand? Abraham's not gonna be able to brag about this to anybody. He's not gonna be able to say, listen, had I not been there and done all this work and fended off the vultures for so long, right, like I wouldn't have this contract right now between me and God. He's not gonna get to brag about this. God put him to sleep. The battle belongs to the Lord. Right, some of us have been fighting really hard trying to hold on to something or trying to keep something together. You want to know something, man? In 2020, when this place had to shut down, people were still getting saved. You understand? Like, like in 2021, the loan that we took out in 2021 got paid off in 2021 when people were hurting financially all over the place. It's amazing sometimes to see how much of what we do God doesn't need. He is God. He has the power to do it through and even without you if he so chooses. But it wasn't until he was completely out of the way that God takes over. Verse 13, and he said unto Abraham, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs. And they shall serve them and they shall afflict them for 400 years. It has to be Egypt. It has to. I'd be willing to bet your life on it. So so God started out by telling him, he said, I'm going to give you this land. But after you're gone, something's going to happen, right? Your offspring's going to have to leave this land. I'm going to come through on my end of the bargain. But after you're gone, something's going to happen. Your offspring's going to leave this land. They're going to go into a land that's not theirs, and they're going to serve them, and they're going to afflict them for 400 years. In other words, they're going to obtain the promise. They're going to get what God has promised. And then they're going to go through a period of digression or a detour, if you will. Right, just, just because you've been saved, just because you have God in your life, right, just because he has given you the spirit as an earnest or a down payment, right, of your inheritance until he returns once again to redeem what he's already paid for in full, that doesn't mean that you won't have periods of digression in your life. Right, you might experience setbacks in your life. Sometimes God allows setbacks to redirect us or to change us or to glorify him. Psalm 25, verse 14, it says, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. 
When you reverence God, do you understand? When you respect God, when you have a healthy, holy fear of God, when you respect the Lord, sometimes he's going to let you in on some of his secrets. Sometimes he's going to let you in on something that may not be for everybody else. That's why it's a secret, do you understand? Remember what Jesus told his disciples in John 15, verse 15? He says, henceforth I call you not servants. A servant doesn't know what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things I, that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. And that's what's going on here, right? Like God is revealing some of the plan to Abraham right now. He's letting him in on what's going on. He's, he's letting him in on his plan. And God's plan is good, right? It is, it is proactive. It's not reactive, and it is good, Romans 8, Paul was able to say that we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God and for those that are called according to his purpose. Verse 14, and also that nation whom they serve will I judge, and afterwards they shall come out with a great substance. If you have your Bible here, you ought to underline that phrase right there at the end. Right Afterwards, they shall come out with a great substance. God is not in the business of bringing his children through hardship or trial in order for them to come out with nothing. Do you understand? This isn't a prosperity gospel, though. He may choose to bless you in that way if he so desires. But what I'm saying is that it will be priceless or of great substance, as the word of God says, if you were to emerge from your temporary detour, your period of digression, as it were, with a better knowledge of his love for you, with a better knowledge of his will for your life, with a better knowledge of what he wants for your children, that would be priceless. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, for our light affliction... It's but for a moment, but it works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Back to our passage, verse 14. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Listen, this, this contractual like sacrifice that Abraham's offered up to God, it's, it wasn't just for him, right? He's not just doing this for himself. It's a, it's a deed of trust for the property. You understand, like it's a, it's a covenant, an, an investment. He was old. Listen, he knew, he knew full well he wasn't gonna see it like fully um, come about in his life, right? He's, he's setting up his descendants for the future, Right, and listen, the decisions that you and I make today have the ability um, to affect or the power to uh, affect the trajectory of our entire lives. Not only our lives, but the lives of our families, the lives of everyone that we come um, in contact with. Every decision that you make, right? Every move that we make, every sacrifice that we make or decide to hoard for ourselves, every priority that we hold dear or, or every promises that, that, we, that we live out and proclaim to, to those around us and those um, that are ours, right, have potential. They have potential consequences that we may never see come to pass. But that brings us to our fourth point, and that's this. God's plan is self-sufficient, right? God has a plan. It's not reactive. It is proactive. God's plan is good, and God's plan is self-sufficient. That's because God's grace is unconditional, Verse 17, and it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. And in the same day, the Lord um, made a covenant with Abram, saying unto 
unto thy seed have I given this land from the river uh, of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Listen, Abram was still asleep. He's still asleep. God put him to sleep supernaturally. Like a blood covenant was the most binding of all covenants, right? Typically um, throughout scripture, we we see people make covenants and and there was a few different ones they would make. Sometimes they would exchange salt. Sometimes they would exchange a sandal, right? But a blood covenant was the most um, binding. And when two um, parties entered into a blood covenant, what would happen was that the partners of the covenant, they would um, slay various animals for sacrifice and then they would split their carcasses, making an aisle, and then they would join hands and recite the terms of the covenant, right? And what they were saying, right, oh, they would join hands, and then they would walk through the aisle between the pieces of the covenant. And what they're saying is that if, if one side failed to uphold their end, their piece of the agreement, that they could be killed um, by the other party of the covenant, right? Did you catch what happened in Genesis 15? Did you catch it? Like, like, while Abraham's preparing the sacrifices for the covenant, before Abraham and God could walk through the pieces, God causes a deep sleep to come over Abraham. And then God alone walks through the sacrifice. And he's indicating by this, listen, I'm taking full responsibility for the fulfillment of these promises. It's not going to be on anybody else but me and me alone. Thus, theoretically, if he failed to uphold his end of the bargain, he could be killed. But we know that that doesn't happen. He is eternal, right? With whom there is no end or no beginning. They are unconditional because God um, will ultimately see to his, uh, their fulfillment for themselves, right? By himself, for himself. Thus, his plan is self-sufficient. So fast forward with me, right? Like, like several years and even several chapters of Scripture. Fast forward ahead to Genesis 22, This is a very familiar, yet a very tough passage of Scripture for a lot of people to really grasp a hold of how God could ask such a thing. Right, and we don't have time to really, really get into this whole thing because we got to start like, like kind of heading, heading down, trying to wrap this thing up. I know everybody's kind of nervous, right? It's not even going to snow; it's just going to rain, and you're going to go home and watch the team lose. So it doesn't matter. But I'll get you out anyways. All right, we don't, we don't have time to really get into the whole thing, um, but I do want you to see how Abraham's faith has grown. Right through God's promises and God's provision of those promises. Right, if you're unfamiliar with the passage, God has blessed Abraham and his wife Sarah. Right, like like they've had the child that God promised that they would have. It has come from them as God promised um, that it would, despite their old age, despite their impatience, despite despite Abraham's little like schemey, oh, that's my sister deal he's got going on again for the second time, right? God comes through on a major piece of the promise. Isaac is born. And I just love the way that it reads in the CSB. So I'll be in the CSB um, for chapter 22. Verse two, it says, take your son, he said, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Now pause for a second. Moriah, if you're unfamiliar, is a mountain range that runs through the land where Jerusalem would later be built. Pick up with me in verse 6. Abraham's obeyed. Abraham took the wood off the burnt offering and he laid it on his son Isaac. His hand, he took the fire and the knife and the two of them walked together. And Abraham obeys. And this is, this is really, really hard as a father, and I'm sure you can relate. It's really hard to understand how, how he could even manage to obey 
um, such, such a command. I told Chris, me and Chris were studying this earlier this week. I said, this, this dude here would have just failed that one. Just wouldn't have happened. I'd have never come through, right? But somehow he obeys, and it's even hard for us to, like, reconcile in our minds. How could God ask him to do such a thing? But yet, Hebrews 11 gives us just a little glimpse of Abraham's faith and maybe why he was able to obey, right? Hebrews eleven nineteen 19, it actually states that Abraham believed that God would be able to raise Isaac from the dead if that's what it took for God to come through on his promises. Abraham trusted that God was gonna come through on what he said so much that he believed, you know what, even if I sacrifice my only son who I waited so long for, God will raise him from the dead because he promised these things would happen. I know he can do it. I know it. When they get to where they're going, Abraham takes the wood off the donkey and he gives it to his son Isaac to carry. He takes the torch and the knife and they set off to worship. And not um, long into their walk, we, we see in verse 7, it says, Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father. And he replied, Here I am, my son. And Isaac said, The, the fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Remember that phrase. And then the two of them walked on together. And when they arrived at the place that God had told them about, Abraham built the altar there and ranged the wood. And he bound his son Isaac, and he placed him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out, and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called unto him from heaven, and he said, Abraham, Abraham. And he replied, here I am. And then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, and since you have not withheld your only son from me. And Abraham looked up, and he saw that a ram, not a lamb, was caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went, and he took the ram, and he offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. So God stopped him. God stopped Abraham and he provided a ram, though not the lamb that he had promised. Verse 14, and Abraham named um, that place the Lord will provide. In Hebrew, that is Jehovah Jireh. So today it said it will, pre will be provided on the Lord's mountain. It's interesting that the same is it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Not it was provided, but it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. What will be provided? The land of Moriah is home to what would later be the city of Jerusalem and God's temple. And outside that town, on a mount called Golgotha, two millennia later, that same mount where one of Isaac's own descendants would hang on a Roman cross. Jehovah Jireh. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And listen, this is a striking story, and it should be. It should be striking. But I also believe that it, it literally happened. But man, what an awesome, awesome, awesome foreshadowing. Right, another glimpse of God's good, proactive plan given to Abraham. God didn't want Abraham to sacrifice his own child, but you know what? I think that sometimes he wants us to grapple, to grapple with what it would have took or what it did take for him to sacrifice his. Right, Jesus is the only son of God. At Jesus' baptism, right, God declares, this is my son whom I love. 
Isaac bore the wood on his back just as Jesus bore the wooden cross on that same mount. When Isaac asked about the lamb, Abraham's response was, God himself will provide the lamb. And how prophetic those words proved to be. Can you imagine what God must have been feeling while he's watching Abraham, knowing that he's not going to have to follow through, but he will? Can you imagine what he must have felt? And just as the ram was sacrificed instead of Abraham's son, the Lamb of God was sacrificed on the cross for your sins, right? Instead of you, instead of me. He took our place. He paid the price for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could live. Genesis 22, verse 15, the angel of the Lord called on Abraham a second time from heaven, and he said, by myself I have sworn. That's because he couldn't find anybody else greater to swear by. So this is the Lord's decoration. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you, and I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, and your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. So God renews his covenant with Abraham. Yet again, in verse 18, says that through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And listen, while I'm sure Abraham's descendants are a blessing to everyone on the earth, I believe that God is referring to one, one particular descendant. The word became flesh. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The one, the only, Jesus Christ. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Jesus Christ. We are rich, man, you are blessed. If you're here, man, you don't, you don't know God. You don't have a relationship with him. You're not you're not. One of his sons, an heir, this Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. I don't think it's about the words. I think if you come unto him, you cry unto him with a clear, with a repentant heart, he will hear your cries. The Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive. And I pray that this morning, if you don't have a relationship with him, you'll do just that. And right now, as we're getting ready to head into just a, a brief period of invitation, we're not, we're not going to like belabor this at all. If you're here, you do have a relationship with him. You are an heir. You are blessed. You are rich. I pray that you take a minute just to reflect on the word of God this morning. Reflect on just how blessed you are, right? Reflect on the promises that he's given to you, that he's blessed us with, and just give him some praise. Give him some glory for everything that he's done for us this morning, because we are rich. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.